It's Thursday, October the 21st, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Evergrande teeters and a resignation at the Bundesbank. First, the world in brief. Evergrande, a Chinese property giant teetering on an Everest of debt, inched nearer to the precipice as its shares began trading again following a suspension. Its share price had fallen by 80% this year. It lost more than 13% of its remaining value when the Hong Kong bourse opened on Thursday. It said it had failed to sell a majority stake in a profitable $2.6 billion subsidiary. Britain and New Zealand struck a free trade deal, removing tariffs on goods ranging from clothings to mechanical equipment and broadening access for tech and services firms. Their cross-border trade stood at £2.3 billion, $3.2 billion last year. Britain is chasing similar agreements far and wide, having left the EU in January. Japan has already signed one. Australia is close. The head of the Bundesbank, Jens Weidmann, is to step down early after more than 10 years in the post. He cited personal reasons for his decision to leave by the year's end. One of the most hawkish policymakers at the ECB, he was an unrelenting critic of the bank's pandemic-inspired easy monetary policy, which he warned would have serious inflationary consequences. All 50 Republicans in the Senate voted to block a bill designed to strengthen voting rights for the third time this year. The Freedom to Vote Act would make it easier to vote while improving election security, among other measures. Democrats say it is especially necessary after Republican state legislators passed laws imposing new restrictions on voting after the elections in 2020. Amherst College, a private liberal arts university in Massachusetts, decided to end its legacy admissions, which gives preferential treatment to academically qualified children of alumni. The school's dean of admissions said it was, quote, a natural extension to efforts to diversify its student body. It is one of a handful of private universities in America to abolish a policy that is lucrative but hard to justify. WeWork, an office rental firm, is due to make its long-delayed debut on the New York Stock Exchange on Thursday after the shareholders of X Acquisitions, a special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC, agreed a $9 billion merger with the company. A much-fetted startup achieving a valuation of $47 billion two years ago, WeWork has struggled to make money. The UN said that countries' plans to extract fossil fuels are, quote, dangerously, out of line with the reductions needed to prevent serious global warming over the next decade. Coal, gas and oil production is running at more than double the rate needed to keep the rise in global temperatures within 1.5 degrees Celsius. The Stark report comes weeks before the UN's climate change conference, COP26, in Glasgow. Fact of the day. 33.8%. The percentage of expectant mothers between the ages of 18 and 49 in America that are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. That's about half the vaccination rate among all Americans over 12 years old. And correction. 
Tuesday's edition of Espresso spelt Lewis Mumford's name incorrectly. Sorry. And now, here's today's agenda. Diversity in blue. Women peacekeepers. The UN, often divided, operates fairly smoothly in matters of peacekeeping. It runs 12 missions with about 95,000 peacekeepers. On Thursday, the Security Council conducts its annual review of women's part in these efforts. In 1993, just 1% of the UN's deployed military personnel were women. By 2020, they accounted for 5% of military forces and 11% of police officers. Much effort will be needed to meet targets set by the UN's executive arm of 15% and 20% respectively by 2028. It is not just the numbers game. In May, the annual UN award for a champion of women in peacekeeping went to Major Steplin Yaboga of Kenya. While serving in the now-completed mission in Darfur, a region of Sudan, she organised patrols so that women could farm their fields without fear, ran training on sexual and gender-based violence and strengthened links with local communities. The Blue Helmets need more peacekeepers like her. Taking off South Korea's space program Weather permitting, South Korea will, on Thursday, launch its first completely homemade space rocket, Nuri. It will take a dummy satellite into orbit, a first test for a system that will eventually carry working payloads, such as satellites for spying or for mobile phone networks. The launch is a significant step for South Korea. Until now, it has depended mostly on America for intelligence gathering from space. North Korea will probably view the launch as a provocation. The South has announced plans for a network of, quote, unblinking eyes to watch its northern neighbour. And though South Korea uses different technology for its missiles, any development in rocketry will be of concern as the peninsula's arms race accelerates. North Korea tested a submarine-launched ballistic missile on Tuesday after a spate of other tests in September just as South Korea tested a submarine-launched ballistic missile last month. Whether or not South Korea's latest rocket successfully lifts off, tensions on the peninsula may well intensify. Prizing open the prison bars. Alexei Navalny Alexei Navalny, Russia's jailed opposition leader, won the European Parliament's Sakharov Prize for Freedom of Thought on Wednesday. In 1975, Andrei Sakharov, a Russian nuclear scientist and humanist, won the Nobel Peace Prize for formulating and defending one of the main principles of post-war security in Europe. A country that violates its own people's human rights will always pose a threat to the outside world. In response, the head of the KGB designated Sakharov, quote, Domestic enemy number one. Mr Navalny has inherited some of Sakharov's courage and his status as enemy number one. He has drawn a connection between corruption, security and human rights, arguing from prison that, quote, corruption flourishes when there is a disregard for human rights and, quote, 
any action that does not lead to real improvement in them, quote, is at best useless. Sakharov may well have approved. Revolving doors, lower rates. Turkey's central bank. Last week, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Turkey's president, sacked three members of the Monetary Policy Committee of the Central Bank, ostensibly for its failure to do enough to control inflation. When it meets on Thursday, don't be surprised if the committee lowers the benchmark interest rate by another percentage point to 17%, well below the 19.6% inflation rate. Mr Erdogan is a staunch believer that lowering it is the way to tackle inflation and cares little that almost no economist agrees with him. Reports had been circulating that Mr Erdogan had soured on Shahab Kavjolo, the central bank governor, for failing to do so. The purge may have saved his skin for now. None of this bodes well for the Turkish lira. The currency, which has depreciated by about 20% against the dollar this year, has taken a beating ahead of the meeting. It may be in for another one after it ends. The Life Aquatic Becoming Cousteau In 1936, while hurrying to a wedding, Jacques-Yves Cousteau crashed his father's car, breaking both his arms. He loved the water as a child, so swimming in the sea seemed appropriate for his long rehabilitation. When a friend gave Cousteau a pair of goggles, his obsession with underwater adventure began. Becoming Cousteau, a new documentary, uses archival footage and diary entries to chart the Frenchman's journey from naval officer to famed explorer and documentarian. His need to stay submerged brought about the development of the aqua lung, a precursor to modern diving regulators. His desire to share the underwater world that so entranced him led to new technology used in his hit television series and films. Though admiring, the documentary does not gloss over Cousteau's failures, particularly as a father and husband. The sea was his mistress, or rather one of them, and conservationist sensibility permeated his work. As he said, quote, people protect what they love. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Ursula Le Guin, who was born on this day in 1929. The real mystery is not destroyed by reason. The fake one is. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 